today in our study of the Gospel of Luke. It's Good Friday. It's just a few minutes before 9 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus is once again standing before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Last week he was standing before Herod, and we know when Jesus was standing before Herod, it was a bit of a circus, wasn't it? You may remember this from last week. Uh, Herod is excited that Jesus is coming to see him because he wants him to perform a miracle. He, he wants Jesus to perform for him. So he's questioning him, trying to get Jesus to perform. The chief priests and scribes, they're there on the scene, of course, and they are accusing Jesus vehemently. The way the, the text reads, it's as if they will not shut up. And there in the midst of this circus all around him, Jesus is silent, remember? And his silence is deafening. His silence speaks louder than any of the people in the scene. And Lloyd helped us to understand his silence, this deafening silence. He said, Jesus is silent because he loves. He loves you and me. He loves Herod. He, he even loves the religious leaders. And no mocking, no accusation will keep him from demonstrating that love to them and to us on the cross. See, his, his silence speaks volumes about his love. And of course, I, I, I thanked Lloyd for his three minutes of silence last week that were a whole lot better than listening to him speak as well. So grateful for that. <laughs> Y'all like Lloyd, huh? You like, okay, good. Me too. Herod mocks Jesus and he doesn't find any guilt in him. And he, so he sends him back to Pilate. And this is the final judgment. That's where we find ourselves today. Now, now, this text, this scene in the streets before Pilate, in the streets beneath the judgment seat of Pilate, it, it's going to force us to think about something that we don't often think about, specifically why we do what we do, why, why we do what we do, why, why we make the decisions we make, what motivates us to make them, what shapes our words and actions, why am I inclined to do what I do? It's not hard for us to think about this question for somebody else. We see something crazy on the news. We, we, we hear about something that somebody did and we go, that's crazy. Why in the world would they do that? But I think when it comes to us, we can start moving so fast, just making decisions one after another all day long out of habit or just simple necessity that it can be the, the rare occasion that we actually stop to think about why. Why we do all the things that we do. Yet, life change, transformation of the heart, deep, lasting life change only comes when we pay attention to why we do what we do. It only comes when we address those underlying motivations. Any other change is just superficial. It's just behavioral. It doesn't connect to the cord of the heart. The, the heart remains the same. You see, understanding the why behind the what is to understand how God changes us. And of course, like all important topics, the Bible has something to say about it. So I want you to take it out and open it to Luke chapter 23. We are in verses 13 to 25. Luke 23, verse 13 to 25. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Luke 
Verse 13, Pilate summoned the chief priest and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought this man, it's Jesus, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was the one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out saying, Crucify! Crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. You can take your seats. I want you to see a painting of this scene. It's going to come up here on these two side screens. This is a painting that was done in 1871 by an Italian painter named Antonio Cesare. The painting is called Ecce Homo. Those are the words that, in Latin that Pilate used in this scene, in this moment when he presented Jesus to the crowd. It means uh, uh, behold the man or look the man. That's what, Jesus, or that what Pilate says. Not here in Luke, we find that in John chapter 19, verse 5. And I wanted you to see this painting because I think it depicts the scene very well. Notice the crowd down in the streets. Difficult to see the crowd. We can just see the mass of people. But by the people who are standing on the buildings across the street at the very top of your screen, we, we see some arms raised. We look at the posturing of those here on the porch. We can tell, or, or, or it's like we can hear the crowd shouting by what we're looking at in the painting. Notice the woman who's turned down here in the bottom right back toward us. That's Pilate's wife, and she can't bear to watch this scene. Notice Pilate there in the middle. He's in the white. He's leaning toward the crowd. He's gesturing toward the people. We know he's bargaining with them. We know that is consistent with the text. And then look at Jesus. Jesus is head gently down. He's motionless, and he's silent. You see, it's Jesus that stands in such stark contrast to this scene. It's his posture that's noticeably different from the rest. We have this cacophony of voices of religious leaders and the people. The text says they're crying out, they're calling out, they're insistent, demanding. They are loud voices. We see Pilate, he's posturing and positioning and maneuvering and managing and bargaining and Jesus does nothing. 
And this is the place where Luke invites us to consider not just what each of these parties does, but why they do it. What's underneath their actions and ours. And I would submit to you that there are two phrases in this text that can help us to get underneath it. The first is found in verse 23. Look there just for a moment. This is where the crowd gets insistent, voices get loud. And Pilate, who has stood against them, he begins to acquiesce, doesn't he? he here's the phrase in the verse 23, their voices began to prevail. And this is the emphasis in the text. Jesus is innocent. Pilate knows that. He has declared him not guilty three times in this text alone. He has made two definitive judgment-like statements. I, I, I will punish him and release him, but something entirely different happens, doesn't it? Something else happens. Look at verse 25. This is the second important phrase right there at the very end, last six words. He delivered Jesus to their will. You see, Pilate acts according to the will of the crowd. He acts according to what they want. Pilate grants their demand. He releases Barabbas and he sentences Jesus to death. These two phrases, their voices began to prevail. He delivers Jesus over to their will. Here's what I'm suggesting. What we do and why we do it is shaped primarily by the voices we listen to. We could say it this way. Why we do what we do depends on who we listen to. Those two things are inseparably connected. You want to know why you do what you do? Well, go back to the voices that you listen to. You want to know what voices you listen to? Well, those will be revealed in the things that you do. This is probably most exposed in, in my house when my wife Hillary and I have conflict. See, when we have conflict, more often than not, there's something that just triggers in me that has to be right. I'm sure none of you are like this. I have to be right. When I step back from that, why do I feel that need to be right? Why, why do I do what I do? When I step back from that for a moment, that's when I hear the voice. It's a voice that says, Bill, you're not enough as a man, as a husband, as a father, unless you're right more often than not. That's a sick voice. It's a crazy voice. Of course, of course it doesn't make any sense, but... That's the voice that I hear, and that's what I do when I hear it. In fact, when I listen to that voice, I always end up sleeping on the couch. That's what happens when I listen to that voice, right? How does Pilate go from not guilty to sentenced to death? How does he do that? Their voices begin to prevail. And it's not just true for Pilate, interestingly, it's true for every single person in this scene, including Jesus. I want you to consider the people in the crowd just for a moment. In verse 13, the very beginning says, Pilate summoned the chief priest and the rulers and the people. Pilate invites the, the general public to participate in the trial. And these people are primarily Jewish. 
Um, they, they are in town, unless they live there, they're in town for the Passover feast. That's why they're there. This is likely a very large crowd, a crowd that's, that's large because the Passover feast, when that happened once a year in Jerusalem, the, the city of Jerusalem swelled typically to three or four times its size. One author I read this week said, it's as if the nation has come to find Jesus' fate or to determine Jesus' fate. And the first words that we hear from these people, the, the first thing that they do, we find them in verse 18. Look at this for a minute. For context, remember, Pilate has just said to them, I find no guilt in this man. Herod finds no guilt in this man. I'm going to release him. And the crowd, verse 18, here it is, cries out all together saying, away with this man. That means execute him. And release for us the prisoner Barabbas instead. Now, it's a bit staggering, honestly, that we would hear these words from the crowd in unison, no less, and entirely against Jesus. Why why is that staggering? Well, just five days earlier, this same crowd is in unison entirely for Jesus. And Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a back of a donkey, on the back of a donkey, and they're singing with one voice in unison, all of them together, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And we look at it, we step back from it, and we go, why in the world would they do that? that? That's crazy. Answer. They're listening to different voices on this day. That's why. Who are they listening to? They're listening to the religious leaders, chief priests, scribes, members of the Sanhedrin who had orchestrated this event. How do we know that? We know that by what they do. What we do reveals who we listen to. In this case, what they say. And what they say is identical to what the religious leaders have been saying. And the exact opposite of what they had said just five days before. It's also affirmed for us in Matthew and Mark as well. Matthew twenty-seven twenty says this. While Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, the chief priest and elders persuaded the crowds, there it is, to ask for Barabbas and put Jesus to death. Mark 15, 11. The chief priests, they stirred up the crowd, here's our affirmation, to ask Pilate to take Jesus and release Barabbas instead. This crowd is fickle, persuaded by the voices of the day. In this case, the religious elite. And this crowd becomes irrational. The shift is an emotional shift. It becomes mob psychology and it carries the day. Kill Jesus and release for us Barabbas. So the people do what they do because they're listening to their religious leaders. And we said just a moment ago that Pilate does what he does because he's listening to the people. But I want us to pause right here on Pilate for just a moment because I have a question. I think it's a question all of us want to know the answer to. It's why in the world would Pilate listen to those people? You see, it makes sense for us to know that the people would listen to the religious leadership. They are their spiritual authority. That really mattered to this group of people in the first century. But why would Pilate, a 
Roman governor listened to a group of Jewish commoners. Why would that be true? We know from Pilate's history and, and from Michael's message two weeks ago that he hated these people. It disgusted him. He was harsh. He was cruel. He was antagonistic toward these people. He did not have a good track record with this people. Makes no sense. All the evidence in this case, it, it stands against the demands of the people. It makes no sense in that way. Pilate's already said him himself, Jesus is not guilty. Herod said it, Jesus is not guilty. Those two guys, they never agreed on anything. Here they are on Jesus agreeing he's not guilty. Even Pilate's wife is involved. Really interesting, the message that she sends to her husband. We find this in Matthew. He tells us that while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Oh, the evidence stands against the people. Why would he listen to them? Here's why. Because he was fearful of what might happen if he didn't. You see, Pilate's concerned about his job. He's concerned about his position, his power, his prestige. We've talked about this the last two weeks. He's concerned about a riot starting in the streets on feast day with a city full of people. I mentioned he doesn't have a good track record with them. In fact, he's already on watch with the authorities in Rome. He's concerned about what might happen if he could not control a religious mob and a religious uprising. So he works to satisfy a group of people that he hates. Now we have scriptural evidence to support this as well. It's found in Mark. But before we go there, I want you to see this progression in the text. Remember we said that what we do reveals who we listen to and why we do it. And here's what Pilate does. Pilate offers the people two alternatives. He offers them two deals. Here's the first deal. Uh, I tell you what I'll do. I'll, so upset, I'll punish him and then release him. How about that? Now, now does Pilate believe that Jesus needs to be punished? Does he believe he's guilty? No, no, he's not guilty. Why would Pilate do that? To appease the people. That's why people say what? No way, not good enough. No, only way it's gonna be good enough is if that man dies. Pilate thinks about it considers a second alternative, second deal. It was tradition in Jerusalem at the Passover feast that he would free one prisoner for them. It was symbolic of the freedom that they had gotten from Egypt, which is why they are there celebrating Passover, okay? So that's why it's there. He remembers this tradition, leans over to one of his Roman guards, says, hey, go Go get the worst prisoner in the prison. Go get him, bring him out here. Whoever it is, go, go get that guy, bring him right here. I, I've got a plan. Guy goes and gets Barabbas, brings Barabbas out. Barabbas is a murderer, okay, insurrectionist. Ted Bundy is standing next to Pilate. That's what this is like, okay? That, here he is. Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner, Barabbas standing here, man, this is perfect. I got this. I'll give them this deal. No way they'll choose Barabbas. I'll get off clean. I can appease my conscience and I can appease them. Here's what I'll do. Here's the deal. Ready? You choose, people. Barabbas or Jesus. 
Now, why does Pilate offer this deal? Well, Mark 15 affirms what we're saying here. It's because he's trying to satisfy him. That's what Mark says. He's trying to satisfy the crowd, trying to keep his job. Not the only politician in the world who's concerned about public opinion polls, right? Not the only one. That's what's going on here. So when Pilate asked Barabbas or Jesus, and the people say, release Barabbas, release the guilty, release the murderer, release the insurrectionist, and kill Jesus, kill the innocent, kill the peacemaker, kill the one who actually gives life. When they say that, we want you to release Barabbas, crucify Jesus, Pilate acquiesces. He gives in. And get this, Jesus in his silence says, okay, I'll do it. You see, herein lies the extraordinary beauty of the gospel. This is the great exchange. Jesus the innocent and Barabbas the guilty, they trade places. This is the greatest trade ever made. Jesus, the innocent, the sinless, the righteous, the undefiled, the pure, the spotless, unblemished Lamb of God takes the place of Barabbas, the sinful, the seditious, the rebellious, the one who stood against the rule of God. And while Jesus suffers and dies, the notorious criminal is pardoned and runs free. Are are you getting this? This is beautiful. You see, Barabbas did what Jesus is charged with. He did it. He's guilty. He knows it. Barabbas' crimes, they warrant death by crucifixion. Jesus takes his place. And he takes ours. You see, Barabbas' story is our story. No sinner in here worse than Barabbas. No sinner in here better off than Barabbas. And like Barabbas, we are everything that Jesus is not. Sinful, selfish, rebellious against the rule of God. Our sin, it imprisons us. It is deserving of death. You don't believe me? Read the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one, none who deserves anything but death, none who can do good. Whole list of sins in Romans chapter 3. If I read them off to us, we could each one of us just check the boxes, write down the list. All of that deserving of death. And we, in our sin, we cry out, we don't want to die. No, we don't want to die. No, crucify him. And Jesus says, okay, I'll make that trade. I'll die, you go free. No strings attached. You see, for me, this is the clearest illustration of the gospel in all of the scripture. Jesus says the gospel is simple. It's my life for yours. Will you take the trade? This picture, as I was thinking about it this week in my office, Thursday afternoon, it just, it came tumbling down on me so hard that I just, I just broke down. I I don't often do this. I just broke down. That lump got up in my throat, kind of like it started to right now, just choked up. And I just, tears just started flowing. Is that true? Can that really be true? 
Jesus took my place. Yes, he did. He took my place. I can't believe it. He took my place and, and he took yours. He did. There is a reason that I keep washing my hands. You probably figured that I would come back to this at some point. Luke doesn't record it here, but in Matthew chapter 27, um, Pilate washes his hands. It says, when Pilate realized that he was accomplishing nothing and that a riot was starting, he brought out or had a basin of water brought out and he dipped his hands, he washed his hands and he looked out at the people where they could hear him and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. I'm not guilty. The guilt is on your hands, not mine. He, he washes his hands. He, those of you who know the story probably figured this had something to do with that. Let me ask you a question. Why does Pilate wash his hands? It's because he, wanted, he doesn't want to be guilty. That's why. He said, said, I am innocent. He doesn't want to be guilty of what? of killing an innocent man. He knows the truth. He knows Jesus is innocent. He, he doesn't want to be associated with that guilt. He wants to distance himself from that decision, so he washes his hands. Let me ask you a second question. Does washing his hands remove his guiltiness? No. There's nothing that can do that. Yes, Pilate is guilty of sentencing an innocent man to death, but listen to me, this isn't his first sin. He's been sinning for a long time. He needs Jesus to die just like everybody else needs Jesus to die. You see, I keep washing my hands. Why? Because I can't get them clean. I can't clean my conscience. I can't wash my heart. I can't clean this guilty stain off my soul. I I can't do it. Every time I walk away from here, I'm dirty again. It's like the bathroom at the gas station, right? (laughs) Yeah. I can't walk out of there without being dirty again. You just can't do it. So no matter how many times I wash my hands, no matter how many times I stand up here and, and do this, I, I, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. No matter how many times I try to do or to act a certain way or to say the right thing or to be what I'm supposed to be, no matter how many times I cannot clean my sinful heart. There's only one way to do that. And it starts with deciding who you're going to listen to. Why does Jesus do what he does here? Why is Jesus silent? Well, I would suggest that he's listening too. You see, it's just been a few hours since he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. What's he doing in the Garden? Praying. Praying to who? Praying to his Father. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, this is what he prayed. Father, if it be your will, would you let this cup pass? Remove this cup from me. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. Who is Jesus listening to? Speak it out. Who is it? Who is it? His Father. Yes, it's his Father. God the Father. We know this, not just by what Jesus does here, but what he says throughout the Gospels. You could look at any one of them. I, I picked John. I'll, I'll give you three quick examples. This is what Jesus says about himself. Listen to this. 
I do nothing out of my own initiative, but what I say and what I do, I learn from the Father. John 8, 28. John 14, 31. I do exactly as my Father tells me to do. I only listen to him. John 5, 19. Truly I say to you, The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees his father doing. And when he sees his father doing it, he does it likewise. Jesus is saying, you want to know why I do what I do? There is one voice that shapes everything. And because he listens to that voice, he doesn't get involved in this scene. He doesn't perform. He doesn't fix. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't call down angels from heaven to wipe these sorry people off their feet. He doesn't even speak. Why? Because the Father has said, it's time to go to the cross. And Jesus listens to his Father, and he does it. So what? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Will it be the voice of the day? The voice that the people listen to? The the most persuasive voice in the moment? Will it be the voice of fear? The one that Pilate listened to? That said something temporary is worth far more than something eternal? Will it be a voice that lies to you? that deceives you, that doesn't tell you the truth about who you are or who God is. Maybe it's a voice that's been in your head for a long time. Will it be that voice? Or will it be the voice of the Father who says simply this, I so loved you that I sent my only son that whoever would believe in him would be made clean by words would not have to try to wash anymore, would not perish, but would have eternal life. Will you listen to the voice of the Father and will you take the trade? Jesus takes your place.